0: You're listening to audio from Restoration Church. If you enjoyed the message and would like to get connected to our church, follow us on social media at Restoration Cambridge or at our website, restoration-church.ca. Send us a message and we would love to hear from you. A couple of years ago, a man named Tangay, I hope I'm, I'm saying, I might not be saying this correctly. His name was Tangay Repio. He went to the University of Oregon for steeplechase and other track events. Anyone ever done steeplechase before? So when we get one. You got to run around the track and then you got to leap over the little wall into a pool of water and then keep running and then you leap over another wall and run through another pool of water. You've seen those things? I don't know if anyone's ever seen that. Anyway, that's what steeplechase is. This was uh, from the University of Oregon. It was in the Pac 12 championships. So, all of the, the Pacific universities, it was their big meet. So, he had been training his entire life. I don't People apparently train to be a steeplechaser. They're just runners, really. But he was, he was in the final of the Pac 12 steeplechase uh, championships. And maybe you've seen this video on YouTube. But Tangi Repio is, is known for one thing, not how fast he ran or how good of a steeplechaser he was, which he was, because on his final lap, he was in first place, no one else around him, he thought he had the race won, and if you've ever seen this video, this is the guy on the final stretch who starts waving to the crowd, he's wa- he thinks he's... He thinks he's won the Pac-12 champion. He is the best steeplechaser in the entire Pacific Coast of the United States. He's waving to the crowd. He's, you know, he's smiling. He thinks, this is it. I've ran my whole race. I've been training for this moment. Little does he know that there's someone catching up very quickly as he's slowing down and waving to the crowd. And with about 10 meters left, a look of sheer panic crosses his face as another runner... I can't remember what I think it was actually from the University of Washington. Passes him and wins the race, all because he took he took his eyes off the goal when it mattered the most. It was the end of the race that defined his entire his entire training, his entire life, his entire uh, race. That's the only reason I know him. I don't know him because he's a good steeplechaser. I only know him because he's the guy who gave up running at the end just because he thought he had won. He thought the race was over. He thought he had won. As we consider growth in, in, in the Christian life, on the screen, Cassidy, if you put it on the screen, these are the marks we've been through. In the last, uh, I think we're actually missing one. Are we missing? No, we're not missing one. No, those are the five marks of maturity. First week, we looked at consistency. This is what God calls us to, the one who shows up. Another way of describing that is discipline. God calls us to have discipline in our lives and not just do things just at once and think we're going to be changed, but often growth looks like showing up over and over and over and over and over and over over again. Joy is the other mark of maturity, the one who is fully alive. Thirdly, servanthood. God calls us to take on the, the identity, not just serve, but take on the identity of a servant, the one who takes responsibility for other people. Humility was the one we looked at last week, the one with profound confidence in their identity as as a Christian. And finally today, the culmination of all things, the culmination of everything that we grow in, you can focus on all of those other things. You can show up, you can try to have joy, you can take the form of a servant, you can can try to be humble or, or, or ask God to humble you. You can go through all the marks. And you strive to be many things in life, right? You strive to grow in your spiritual walk. Think, I I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to to share share my faith, be an influence on my family. You You can try to do all of those things. But the defining part of the race is love. Love is the culmination of all of our growth. Love is the Christian's defining feature just like that runner from Oregon we can strive to have a whole bunch of things in life but if we do not love that's what defines us it's our defining attribute as a Christian go to 2 Peter chapter 1 we're not going to be there the whole time but I just want to really quickly read 2 Peter chapter 1 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 down to verse 8 I'm just going to read it, make a couple of comments, and then we're actually going to be in 1 John chapter 4 this morning. But I wanted to read 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 8. I've referenced this passage before, but it's it's, it's just extremely important when we talk about growth and, and what that looks like in the Christian life. Verse 3 says, His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And by the way, if you want more of an in-depth of what this means, a couple weeks ago when I talked about um, uh, consistency. I, I reference this a lot. So if you want to go back to that, that passage, I, I go into this more in depth. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, or in other words, the image of God, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, this is what growth looks like. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with... What does it say? Love. It's like this golden chain that you... That none of them are just on their own, or none of them are are, are supposed to be just focused on on their own. You think, well, you know, I have one thing, but to the, you know, but I don't have any of the others. Nor nor is it like trying to go with like stepping up, you know, to spiritual growth and that love is kind of at the top, this unreachable mark. However, I do think, I don't think it's that. It's it's all of those things are, are, are focused on when we look at growth and those things are growing in our life. I do believe there's a culmination that's happening, like one building on top of the other one. And the culmination, the defining feature of our spiritual growth, again in 2 Peter 1, is love. Verse 8: For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Love is, you know, the, the top of the crescendo. As the orchestra is playing and they build and build and build and build and build until they reach the very heights of the crescendo and it's love in the Christian life that occupies that space. The point I just want to simply make before we go to First John if you aren't growing in love, you aren't growing Love is like the test for your spiritual growth. Let me say it again. If you aren't growing in love toward God and toward the people around you, your neighbor, which is the people around you, whether you like them or not. If you aren't growing in love, you aren't growing. Especially in the last couple of years, we've been tempted to hate those we disagree with. We've been tempted to be impatient. We've been tempted to make judgment. But as a Christian, our defining feature is love. I'll say it again. If you are not growing in love, you're not growing. So as you consider yourself a year ago today, have you grown in your love for the people around you? Or have you been hardened and become bitter and filled with hate? If you're not growing in love, you're not growing. And here's why. Love, I believe, is the clearest expression when I talk about the image of God and being restored to the image of God. It's our demonstration of love toward God and toward people that gives the clearest expression or the clearest picture of the image of God in us. As we've been looking in this series and part of Restoration Church, this is a huge part of our kind of the theological reason why we call ourselves Restoration Church, is that we've been created in something called the image of God, which means the character and attributes of God. We live out in this world, so God didn't just create random people and live. Just that you are to love, or you are to show, you are to have joy, you are to seek, see, to, to have pleasure in me, and all these great things and gifts that God has given us. He didn't just randomly do that. He did that because that's Him. Like we live out the character and attributes of God in this world. That's what it means to be created in His image. It's where the character of God is made manifest through Christians. And especially as a church, as we interact with one another, it's the image of God, the way that we were always intended to live as human beings, that's where it's made manifest. Of course, the fall comes and sin enters the world and there's there's brokenness and that image becomes distorted. But through Jesus, through His image, we are being restored to that original intention. This is really important. As we look to Jesus, as you grow, as I've said many times throughout this series, you don't become less of yourself. You become more of yourself as you grow into the character and attributes of Jesus, as you look more and more like the person of Jesus, you don't become less of yourself, you become more of yourself. If I could put it this way, the highest resolution of who you are as a person is when you seek Jesus. It's when you you are aligned with Jesus what was important to him, what his priorities were, how he treated people, how he loved his father. As you grow into that image, you become more of the person that you've always been intended to to be. It's the highest resolution of you. You know, when you have a poor Wi-Fi connection, and you're trying to watch a movie and how frustrating that is, or if you're watching football and everyone's watching football on your block, and so there's busyness in, I don't even know how it works. The cable apparently is busy, and for some reason the resolution is poor. But that's, that's what it looks like when we're looking to other things or other people to, for our own image. The resolution becomes distorted. It's actually through Jesus that you become more of yourself. Go to 1 John chapter 4, because that's actually the passage we're going to go to. 1 John chapter 4, that's where I'm going to be the rest of the time. So if you want to go there, it's actually, like, my Bible, it's two flips over. 1 John chapter 4 says this. I'm just going to read two verses, and then I'll I'll make some comments and then keep going. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 says this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God, and this is a radical statement, God is love. God is love. Love. The fact that John says God is love, it's not just that God loves, but God is love. It doesn't mean that all of these things, if you could take the other attributes that are on the screen, the marks of maturity if you could go back to that Cassidy, I'm going to reference that a few times, just keep it up there. If you could look at all the other marks of maturity in our life, especially love. When it says God is love it doesn't mean that that's just what God does or that that's what he can do. It means it's part of him. It's his nature. That's what makes him God. Even more so, it's not that he can love. It's he can't help but love. Because he is, he is love. Everything he does is defined in love. It's not just something he can do. It's part of him. It's his nature. He can't help but love. To clarify then as we consider what it means to grow into the image of God. As you look at the marks of maturity. I just want to say this. None of these are gifts. Like these are not gifts that you just naturally have. Like Cale is just a joyful person. Colin just shows up. None of them are, are gifts that you just, that you can do. If they flow out of the image of God, you could, you could say it this way. It means that you can't help, but do, there, there's, they're not optional. It's not that cherish is the loving one. And Brian is the humble one. And Ruth is the serving one. All of these, they mean, that's what it looks like to be made in the image of God. And they're really not optional. So you know what, none of us can say, well, I'm just not a loving person. If you're a Christian, that's not an option. That's what it means to be the image of God, is to love God and love people around you. You can't use the excuse, I'm just not a loving person. You have to be if you're a Christian. It says those who don't love don't know God. It's not an option. None of them are gifts. We might say they're a part of our nature or we might use the word they're part of our character and we can't not claim them. That's why Jesus, I mean, Jesus when he summarizes the heart of the law, of, of, of God's moral code for how people are supposed to live in this world, Jesus summarizes it by two things. Love God and love the people around you. Love your neighbor. Love God and love the people around you. It's not an option. Some, I think I've used that to call in before. I'm not, I just don't think I'm a loving person. I kind of have to be if I'm going to grow in my faith. You have to seek love if you're going to seek Jesus. To clarify then. How we live and grow in God's image, what that means then is two things. If all of these things just flow out of what it means to be the image of God, and they're not gifts, but they're character qualities that we have to exhibit as Christians. First one is this none of them are easy. None of these things are easy. None of, the, none of these marks, especially love, just, it's like, I'm a, I'm, it's my gift. No, none of them are easy. It's something that you, you, you grow in. Secondly, and maybe more importantly, all of them are possible. All of them are possible. Colossians one twenty eight, which we looked at as we started this series, which means that the, the whole point of church is to present everyone mature, every person Mature. So what Paul was saying in that passage is that anyone who came into the church and gave their life to Jesus, these things were possible for every person. None are easy, but all of them are possible. Here's the other thing God is love means. That our concept of love is not some subjective, ethereal thing that floats in in like a philosophical space. That's up for debate. Love has been already demonstrated to us. If I could say it this way, even more importantly, love has already been defined for us. Look what it says in verse 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest. Here it is. It's been defined for us. The love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And in verse 10, here it is In this is love. This is, the defi- this is what love is. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We don't need to wonder, like, what is love? Is it, you know, and, and this is what it is. This is how the Bible defines it for us. If God is love, he defines what that is. If I from the passage could put this I think Cassidy, did you have it on the screen? I don't know if you have it on the screen or not. Two things in, the, in that verse that in this is love not that we have loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins the first part in that not that we have loved him but he loved us the first part of that definition is initiating undeserved sacrifice that's the first part of love That's the action. And then the second part, the purpose of love is this. It's for another's healing. It's to the benefit of another's healing. So there's an action which is initiating undeserved sacrifice for the purpose of another's healing or another's restoring. That's what love is as defined by Jesus. It's the action that was initiated by God as Romans chapter 5 says while we were yet sinners or enemies of God God takes the initiative and sends his son sacrifices his son to give up the greatest thing that he could give up his entire life. It's initiated initiating undeserved sacrifice. How many of you have said these words like I've said where it's like our concept of love is like, I'll, I'll extend forgiveness or I'll extend love, but you're waiting for the other person to do it. And then I'll extend it. When there's disharmony in a relationship or in your marriage, with your children, whatever, whatever relationship you're you're waiting for the other person to respond to you. But true love as defined by the image of God was that you're the one who initiates, even if you see no movement from the other side. You're the one who initiates to restore that relationship. The imperatives in the Bible and how the church treats one another and how families treat one another, when it says, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, rebuke one another, all of those things, They're not predicated on that the other one is going to do anything about it. It's that you take the initiative to do those things even if they don't deserve you doing it for them anyway. Because that's what love looks like. It's that you are the one initiating an action. Not as a response. And the purpose of that sacrifice in the second part of the definition, it was to bring Healing, that's what it says, that's what it means when it says that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the one who makes atonement for our sins. Love is not some shallow sentiment. It's almost Valentine's Day. And I'm not like, I'm not going to be the pastor that bashes me like, the world doesn't know how to love. Valentine's Day is, you know. But it's not a shallow sentiment. It means sacrifice. But it's also demand to meet the other's greatest need. To bring healing. (laughs) It's not just the husband who says, I love you. And the wife isn't satisfied. And you're like, well, I said I love you. Is there, no, is there a problem here? I already said it. It's not some shallow sentiment. It demands to meet the other's need. That's the purpose. Here's, here's kind of the problem. I think I see as I was kind of meditating through this passage. And as we, as we look at love and, and how we grow in love. I think we've confused love to be in speaking in love or or speaking in truth, speaking even the truth in love. I think we've confused it to be action from a place of control or safety. I mean, love in itself, where there's initiating undeserved sacrifice, is in of itself a place of out of your control. You don't know how the other person is going to respond by your initiation. You think you might have a plan in mind. This is how they're going to respond, but you don't know how they're going to respond. You know, Jesus gave His life for us for many people who would never respond, and yet He still did it. So you have no idea. It's it's out of your control how the other person you're extending love to responds to it. And I th- I think the problem is when we say we're we're speaking in love or acting in love, we're doing that action from a place of control. Only if I can still control the scenario. Only if I can speak something where I'm still in a place of safety and control in my own life. Like uh, in front of our laptop. You know, we got a problem with someone, I'll post something on social media and hope that they see it. And then they'll get, then they'll get it. Then they'll understand. That's still speaking and acting from a place of your control. Rather than if you've got a problem with someone, confronting them, sitting down with them, where it's out of your control of how they actually respond that's love so I think we make these actions from a place where we can still control the scenario man, even pastors can make accusations but the sermon is still in my control you got pastors who are making accusations against people from their, from their pulpit but that's a place of control But that's why the Bible's standard for if you've got a problem with someone is you go to them and speak to them yourself to seek restoration rather than making passive-aggressive statements and hoping that they get it. We think it's courageous, but often, to be honest, it's slanderous, the things we say online. And not only is it action from a place of control, we, it, it kind of is, and I've done this, man, I've done this before. It doesn't, the purpose isn't for, to seek restoration with someone you've got a problem with. The purpose is really to appease me. to make me feel better about myself. I've been there, guys. That's why I say as a church, when you've got a problem with somebody, and I can help with this, you lovingly confront and forgive and offer forgiveness. To give of your resources for redemptive purposes. I am so thankful for the people in my life who have not (laughs) sent letters without a signature at the bottom, so I don't know who it's from. That hasn't happened to me much. You guys are very generous to me. There's, there's horror stories of pastors I know, and I, do not get a, I don't get a lot of that. You know, someone sending an unsigned note, so you, it's a criticism, but you don't know who it's from because they still want control. You know what I'm trying to say? They don't, want, they don't want to be out of their comfort. I'm so thankful for the people in my life who have confronted me, and said, Aaron, I'm concerned about this in your life. And they've done it lovingly and graciously. And they haven't done it to appease themselves, they've done it for me. I'm so thankful for those people. That's love. That's what love looks like. That's what courage looks like. Huh. I think a lot of marriage problems might be fixed if one person takes the initiative and says, man, we've got a problem here. Not fixed, but at least moved in the right direction. Lovingly for the purpose of the other person. Finally, I'll say this. Look at verse 11 and 12. If that's love defined, which is initiating undeserved sacrifice, that's the action. Your giving of your life And the purpose of another's healing, it's for them, not to appease you. Verse 11 and 12 say this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love, I love this word, it's perfected in us. What does that mean? I think simply those two verses point to this this principle how we love how we treat one another how you treat your family how you love your family how you love your spouse how you love your kids how you love the people sitting in the chair beside you how you treat people is the demonstration of the gospel that everyone else is going to see. That is the form of God that everyone else who looks at us sees by how we treat one another. Do you understand what I'm saying? The love we demonstrate, the things that we say to one another, that is the image of God that everyone else is going to see. When it says no one is seeing God, but they see God through how we treat one another. It's kind of a crazy concept. They see God. Love is the demonstration. And I use that word very purposely. The demonstration of the gospel working in us. We all can proclaim the gospel. This is what Jesus has done but that's incomplete. It's how you treat the people around you that is the demonstration. It's the proof of the gospel that you proclaim to believe. When it says that the love of God is perfected in us, that simply means that it's fulfilled in us. The love that a Christian community demonstrates toward one another gives the clear picture of the image of God in us. It's brought to its goal, as I've said many times. This is what life as it was intended to be lived looks like. It proves that He abides, it proves that He's here. A Christian community that does not love, God is not there. That's what 1 John 4 says God is not there if we have no love. If God is love, though, then love demonstrated is the mode of his divine presence. That is what is seen, as it says in verse 12. We see God through how we treat one another. It's the demonstration of the gospel. I could put it another way. If you do not love one another, if we do not love one another, it's, just a, it's not just a reflection of us. It's a reflection of God. Proclamation of the gospel isn't enough. Proclamation is always paired with demonstration for someone to not only hear from God, but to some, for someone to see him work. That's what demonstration is. There was a fascinating documentary that I was looking at uh, a while ago. And it was looking at some uh, very progressive uh, Southern California communities, some of the suburb com- suburbia communities in Southern California, who all proclaimed love. They all have Black Lives Matter signs in their front, front lawns, who are very uh, uh, affluent people, though. They all have Black Lives Matter signs in their front lawns. They all say that minorities and everyone should be treated fairly and equally, That's what the message they proclaimed, but the documentary was very clear. That there's still so much inequality, homelessness, that existed in those communities. So why? Everyone seems to believe the right thing. Everyone's proclaiming their message. As they dug deeper though, the demonstration was not there. Proclamation is not enough without demonstration. Those same communities that said minorities should be treated fairly and equally, those, the poor should be treated fairly and equally, they had for years voted down low-income housing in their communities. It's almost like this is what everyone should do, but not in my neighborhood. You know, my neighborhood's gonna remain safe and comfortable. Everyone else should treat minorities fairly and equally. Not if it affects me, though. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like the proclamation was there, but the demonstration wasn't. (laughs) Without demonstration, it's almost worse than silence. I don't know if I can say it's worse than silence, but it's almost worse than silence. Because everyone who hears that proclamation, if they don't see a demonstration backed up, their conclusion is, why would I ever want this? It doesn't seem to make a difference in your life. You don't, you don't even believe it yourself. You don't, it doesn't change you. You don't even believe the same thing that you're preaching. Why would I ever want this? We're giving an image of something. So it's not just you guys are hypocrites. We show a false image of God. However, a Christian community that sacrifices for one another and seeks to bring healing for the good of the other, not just for the good of me, that's a demonstration that gives our gospel proclamation proof or credence that it's true, that it matters, and that it, that it works in our lives. And people not only hear, but see God. Where does that leave us? I love in verse eleven. It says, "Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another." The love that we are to demonstrate. I want you to say this: It's not just trying to muster up so that we love more. The love that we demonstrate toward one another, it's a result of being loved. God. It's an understanding and a clearer picture of the love that God has demonstrated toward us. That is the energy that we have to love one another. Without being loved, we have no concept of how we treat one another if we don't understand the love that God has already displayed toward us. The energy to love is animated by the energy given. The love that we demonstrate comes out of being loved by God. We we love not from lack, but from excess from God. We give what has already been received. The The biggest growth point I could make as we seek to grow in love is simply to understand God's love for you. To meditate on it to refresh your memory, to to refresh the things that you know, that God loves you, and sacrificed everything so that he could have you for your good, not for his own, for your good, for your healing. He initiated an undeserved sinner like me to give of everything. When I was reading, there was a professor who was, he taught at a Christian college called Wheaton College, and he said he, simply in one of his classes as they were meditating on the love of God, this is, you know, an Ameri- this is like heavy into, deep into American evangelicalism. He, he gave the question, what has defined your upbringing in, in Christianity. Was it either by the threat of punishment by God or the wonder of his love and grace? Nine out of ten of them said they were motivated in their Christian life by the threat of God's punishment rather than the wonder of his grace and love. My point is this. The thing that you, are mo- the thing that you believe God to be is what, how you treat other people. That's what's reciprocated to other people. And no wonder Christian communities look more like threats than they do... Love, if that's what we believe God to be. If we're motivated simply by the possibility of God's displeasure, then that is what we reciprocate to our Christian family and our own family and our own homes. The number one thing that should motivate us to love is that God loves you. That is the clearest expression of his image. God, thank you so much that you are a loving God and not that you lo- just that you love but that's part of you. It's defined by you. As verse 11 says, God, if you so loved us, we ought also to love one another with that same love. Lord, first energize us by your love. Lord, may we in the next few even today spend some time in reflection on the sacrifice of Jesus that you gave everything. It was initiated by you. It was undeserved, but you gave everything so that you that that, that it would bring healing to me that I could be restored. It was for my good. It's that love that energizes me to love everyone else. Lord, may restoration be a church that genuinely and sincerely seeks to love one another. Above all else, there are so many good things that we can do as a church, but if we have not love, as the Bible says, we are, uh, we are clanging cymbals. We're just noise if we do not love one another. For it is love that everyone sees you. Lord, may they not just hear you from our church, but may they see you as a manifestation in how we treat one another. God, help us to love each other. May that be our defining feature. May that be what we pursue. We love you. We pray for all these things in your great name. Amen.